grace of God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Psalm chapter number 46. The book of Psalm chapter number 46. There's so many things in this life that have the potential to... Uh, I'm not going to say to, to hurt us even though it kind of does, uh, but we're kind of wimps, but to discourage us, I guess you could say. There's so many things that can drag us down. There, There's so many things that can take the time that, that we should set aside for God. There's so many things that could totally and completely destroy uh, our spiritual relationship with God. But there's pretty much two sides to every coin. Uh, and the other side to that coin is that there is so many things in this life that should restore our relationship, that should increase our relationship, that should strengthen our relationship with God. But we find ourselves a lot of times focusing on those things that can destroy it. I had a guy this past week give me a uh, give me a quote on building my house, and he really, really, really didn't want to do it. You could tell whenever he showed up to look at it, he didn't want to do the job. So he quoted me an outrageous number. Guess what? He's not going to do the job because he quoted an outrageous number. Whenever we don't want to do something, it seems that we always can find a reason to get out of it. We can always find a way to get out of it. There's always an excuse. When I was a kid, and I'm not sure I've ever told my mom this, she listens to my messages on the podcast, so I guess she'll realize this whenever she hears it. Uh, when I was in the fourth grade, fifth grade, somewhere around there, I had a, I had a teacher, her name was Miss Lewis. She had them great long fingernails about yay long. And this woman would drag them across that chalkboard. And her voice was about the same. And she was a, a very difficult person. Uh, she didn't particularly care for me. And, uh, and so I faked, I faked a headache a lot. I, I got a terrible headache. I, I can't see straight. Everything is blurry. I did it a lot. And she, my mom would have to come get me from school because people thought something was really, really wrong with me. And she'd come get me, and she'd give me one of them half a little uh, orange ibuprofen. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I'd be better. All good. No problems. I'm not in class anymore, so I'm, I'm better. I'm great. I'm wonderful. There was always an excuse to get out of that class. There was always something else that I had to do. There was always somewhere else that I had to go. When I got to high school, uh, there, there was a keyboarding class, and I knew how to type. I'm pretty good at it. Uh, but I, I didn't really like the class. I didn't see the value in it. So I, I always had something that I needed to do in the ag shop. There was always something that I needed to do, somebody that I had to help. And I had a little note folded up. Whenever you take a piece of paper and you fold it once and then you fold it twice, you end up with about eight different sides to that piece of paper. So on that piece of paper, I had, uh, I had on one side written right here, it said, uh, Brad has permission to come help me in the shop, signed by Billy Passman, my ag teacher. And then you flip it over. And it said, please excuse Brad from class, signed by Kendall McKenzie, vice principal. And then you open it up and you flip it again, and it said, Brad needs to come help me in the computer lab, signed Judy Thomas. And, and I had, whenever you open that paper up, every square that you had on it, there was eight of them, every square had a different person's signature on it and a different excuse of why I did not have to be in class. And, uh, and I got out of class a lot. I made good grades, but I got out of class a lot. Because there was always a reason, there was always an excuse, there was always something that I could do to get out of it. Because I did not want to be there. 
there's always a reason for us to get out of the work that God has placed us in. There's always a reason for us not to do it. There's always an excuse for us to, to, to shy away from. There's always somebody else that we can push it off on. There's always a reason not to come to church. There's always a reason not to read my Bible. There's always an excuse not to pray. There is. There's always one. Start thinking about it. Whenever you pick your Bible up to read, think about how many other things you could be doing. There's always an excuse not to read your Bible. Does that mean that we shouldn't read our Bible? There's always an excuse not to come to church. Does that mean we shouldn't come to church? Somebody thinks they shouldn't. There's not as many people here this evening as it was this morning. There's always an excuse not to come. There's always an excuse not to do. There's always an excuse not to witness. There's always an excuse not to pray. There's always a reason not to do the things that we are supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be in class. I got an amen. There's always an excuse not to do the things that we are supposed to do. I was supposed to be in class. There's always an excuse to get out of it. I was supposed to, to, to do my schoolwork. There was always a reason not to. Anybody here ever procrastinate? I heard a quote one time. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I heard a quote one time and it, it made a lot of sense to me. Procrastination is the sin. Procrastination is the assumption that God will give you time tomorrow to give what to do what he gave you time today to do. And whenever I heard it like that, I, it made me scratch my head. Procrastination is assuming that God will give me tomorrow so that I can do what I should have done today. Procrastination is the excuse for us not to do what we should be doing right now, today. All of us have, have a mission in our life. We, we all, and, and I used the quote last week, and I'm probably going to use it 10 or 12 more times this month. Uh, every person, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. One of the two. There, there's no middle ground. Every person is a missionary, excuse me, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. And that, that quote is credited to Charles Spurgeon. But there's always a reason not to be. But there's two sides to every coin. If you've ever had your kids fussing and fighting, one tell you one story, seems like the other one is always going to tell a different story, right? Always. If you grew up with siblings, you understood. Mama, he hit me. No, he stood, he stepped in front of my fist. Mama, he slapped me. No, she tried to break my hand with her face. There's always a separate side to the same coin. And just as there is always an excuse not to be about God's work, not to read His Word, not to study, not to come to church, there's always a better reason to do it. There's always a better reason to pray. There's always a better excuse to read our Bible. There's always a better excuse to come to church. There's always a better reason to show up for God, to show out for God. We just don't use those as much. There's some excuses that'll always that'll always hold true. I hit traffic. You know how many times that works around Pine? I hit traffic. That may work in New Orleans. That may work in Covington. That don't work in Pine. There's, there's no traffic in Pine. The roads were slick. The weather was bad. My car wouldn't start. We have plenty and plenty and plenty of excuses. Wherein the reality is, is we're trying to cover up what we don't want to do. We're trying to cover up our own faults. We're trying to cover up our own shortcomings. And if we offer excuses to God of why I didn't, why I couldn't, why I refused, 
None of them are going to hold water. None of them are going to stand up. Because no matter how many excuses we come up with of why we couldn't read the Bible, of why we couldn't come to church, of why we couldn't pray, no matter how good of an excuse we could get, none of them are better than the excuse that we should have to read the Bible. God said to carry His Word in our heart. God said to bind it. as frontlets on your eyes. God said to carry it with us everywhere we go. He said to study, to show thyself approved. Jesus defeated Satan with the Word of God. It is our strength, it is our guidance. And as Christians, if you're not convicted when you don't read the Bible, you need to check up with your relationship with God. Because the Holy Spirit will let us know that we need to be reading, we need to be studying, we need to be talking with God, we need to allow God to talk with us. In Psalm chapter 46, we read about a God that shows up for us. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the water thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river. The streams whereof make the glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. The heathen raged. The kings were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. All the things in this world that, that could distract us. All the things in this world that could get us down. All the things in this world that could ultimately destroy us. But God is our reason not to pay attention to those. God is our reason not to fear those. God is our reason not to give heed to those. God is our reason not to allow those to come between us and Him. He said God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is what gets us through. God is our winter coat when it's snowing outside. He will keep us warm. God is our umbrella whenever it's raining outside. He will keep us dry. God is our air conditioner when it's 100 degrees outside. He will keep us cool. God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is what takes care of us. He is our shelter. He is... God is everything. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but there are several things that it takes for man to survive. You learn this at a very, very young age. What does it take for man to survive? It takes water. Jesus said, I'll give unto you the living water. It takes food. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. It takes shelter. The psalmist says, God is our refuge. Those are the three main things that it takes to sustain life. And God provides all three of those. God shows up for us even whenever we don't show up for Him. It amazes man. I've been guilty of it myself. I believe to a certain extent we all have. In the last, I don't know, it's been two and a half years we've been in COVID. Two years, I don't remember. However long it's been, it's, it's felt like forever. I wish COVID would uh, just go away, but I think it's become a household term. But since we've been in COVID, we have seen a sharp decline in the mental health of a nation. 
We have seen a sharp decline in the mental stability of multiple generations. We have seen a sharp decline in the spirituality of a nation. We have seen an increase in crime. We have seen an increase in anxiety. We have seen an increase in stress. Increase in violence. And a decrease in the number of people that make it to Sunday school in the mornings. Because we're no longer dependent upon God being our refuge and strength. We think that we're going to hide behind a, a plastic screen. We think that if we wear the, the little blue surgical masks, that, that COVID can't get through it rather than trusting in God. And I'm not saying that we should not protect ourselves. I wore a mask until I found out I couldn't breathe and I just couldn't wear it anymore. But I wore it for a little while. And I believe that they serve a purpose in that whenever we're wearing a mask, we can't spew germs. I've been spewing germs all of my life. They say don't spit when you talk. Say it, don't spray it, right? Ain't that what the song says? Say it, don't spray it. I've been spraying it all of my life. But at some point in time, we, we have to remember that God is our refuge. We see people that don't want to go to church and, and they're still churches. I had two kids this past week still driving up to church. For the last two years, they've driven up to church in Bogalusa every Sunday. Now, they don't have Sunday evening services and they don't have Wednesday evening services. They cut out their small group. They cut out Sunday school. They cut out Wednesday night Bible study. They show up to church once a week in their pajamas. And they watch a DVD in the back of their mom's Yukon XL while the preacher preaches over the radio that the parents turned down real low so that they can scroll through Facebook without being bothered. Out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> Kids will tell it all. That's what happens. And people become spiritually disconnected from God and wonders, what's going on? We depend on everything else. We, we want the government to help us. We want the government to bail us out. We, we want change. We, we want something to happen. We want something, somebody to, to get going. And we lose sight of God. We lose our hold of God. We lose the fact that God is our strength. That God is our help. We say, I'm, I'm praying for you. Whenever we tell somebody we're praying for them, do we pray for them? Or do we just say that because it's comforting? There's something comforting about hearing somebody say, I'm praying for you. But is it words or is it something that we say and do? Do we have a spiritual enough relationship that our prayers don't hit the sheetrock and stop? I heard a preacher preach one time. Y'all know Brother Joe Lott? He was preaching revival. He said so many times, we'll hang on every word the preacher says. We'll hear every bit of it. We'll grab a hold to all of it. And as we walk out the door, we drop it at the threshold. And we leave it all right there. We stop right there. We'll eat it up. We'll, we'll hang on every word. We'll, we'll hear what the preacher says. And we'll turn it loose whenever we walk through the double doors. Because out there is a different place than in here. It is. Out there is a different place. But if we leave God in here, we're in trouble. I know most of you have heard the story about the kids that were going somewhere or other. Their mom and daddy was asking them not to and telling them to be careful. Take God with you. And one of the kids said, if, 
If God's traveling with us, He'll be in the trunk. They had a wreck, and the only part of the vehicle that did not get crushed was the trunk. And I don't know how true it is. I've heard that story all my life. Preachers trying to make a point. But if we don't take God with us everywhere we go, we're failing God. As a kid, everywhere I would go, we didn't have cell phones all my life. Uh, I thought it was awesome not to have a cell phone. Whenever I did, it had minutes on it. So I could, uh, so I could call and text, but only a little bit. And I think that was a great time. I hope whenever I get Bailey a phone, I hope I can still buy one with minutes. That way she can't run or everything. But whenever we first started driving, Mama would make me tell her where I was going, what I was doing. And she'd say, I love you. Be careful before I would leave every time. And every time I would get home or get to where I was going, let me know when you get there. And it was, I don't know, must have been October, November this year. My mom was driving home from Nanny and Papa's house. She went up there to visit and help with them after Nanny's knee surgery. She got home and I was in the kitchen. I don't remember we may have been cooking or something or other. I was in there with them and the phone rung and it, it was Nanny and I picked it up. She said, did Jane make it home? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, okay, good. I was just checking on her. She still wants to know if she's made it home, if she's okay, if she's all right, if everything is fine. My mom still wants to know where I'm going, what I'm doing, if I'm all right. My wife still wants to know where I'm going, what I'm doing, if I'm all right. They want us They want us to remember them. They want us to check in with them. So does God. God wants us to take Him with us. God wants to go with us where he, he wants to protect us. He wants to be our refuge. He wants to be our strength. He wants to be our help, but we've got to let him. We gotta let him. We, we, we can't bring in and, and grab a hold of everything that has to do with the world and turn loose of everything that has to do with God. God's too important for that. There's too much at stake to go through this life without God we have too much to do there there's too much that we have to accomplish there are too many people that we need to reach to go through a day without talking to God allowing him to talk back to us say God is our refuge and our strength a very present help and trouble therefore because of this the preceding statement says the reason that we will not fear. There's signs all over Bogalusa. Says faith over fear. And that's a that's a mouthful. It takes a lot of faith not to have fear. A lot of faith. Lightning scares me to death. I hate lightning. It's something that I don't understand. It's something that I cannot control. It is something that I cannot predict. It is something that is completely and totally unknown to me and it terrifies me I got an umbrella with a rubber handle because of lightning I don't walk outside when it's lightning because of lightning I don't like it it's not that I don't have faith it's that I allow that lightning to come between me and God and I'm not saying that we should stand outside with a metal fishing rod and hold it up and swing it around when it's lightning and say, I have faith, I have faith. 
Because God gives us the opportunity to be faithful and He also gives us good sense. I'm saying that we shouldn't allow it to come between us and Him. We shouldn't allow the, the, the flu to come between us and God. We shouldn't allow the, the fear of the COVID to come between us and God. We shouldn't allow several of you were alive during Y2K. Shouldn't allow the fear of the end of the world to come between you and God. Isn't that what Y2K was? December 31st, 1999, everybody thought the world was coming to an end. We survived. September 11th, 2001. Country was going to war once again. It didn't separate us from God. More people prayed on that day in history than what is recorded any other day. 2012, the Mayan calendar was just about run out. Or 2010, somewhere around there. Everybody said, it's done, it's over. The Mayans run out of room to write on this big stone wheel, so the, the, this must be the end of time. We're still here. There's lots of reasons to fear. Donald Trump was in office. They said, we're going to be in a nuclear war before he's gone. Y'all get ready. People built bunkers. They got ready. They bought gas masks. I have one a friend of mine gave me because he was convinced 100% he was sold out that there would be a chemical attack in the city of New Orleans during the four years Donald Trump was in president. He said, it's coming. I bought you a gas mask here. It's for you and your family to keep y'all safe. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is our very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Do y'all believe that COVID is real? You believe it's real? I believe it is. I believe it's a real virus. It's jacked up in the way that it works, but I believe it is real 100%. Do we prepare ourselves for COVID? You use hand sanitizer, Brother Randy? Me too. They spray in our classrooms. They spray disinfectant on the high-touch surfaces. We social distanced. My first Sunday to preach here, I stood out on that porch and I didn't get within six feet of anybody. It was weird. We prepared ourselves because of what was out there. Whenever I started showing up, I tied things down. I pulled my boat out in the middle of the pasture and I put a strap around it and anchor it in the ground so that it wouldn't blow away. Me and my family, we went and stayed in a brick home. And most of us slept. We prepared ourselves. One day there's going to be a there's going to be a judgment. We're going to be judged for every opportunity we had to believe in God. Trust in God, to do what God called us to do, to, to be a missionary, to preach to people, to teach to pre- people, to evangelize, to disciple others. And we're going to recall every opportunity that we did not take. We're going to be judged on every opportunity that we did not take. The opportunities that I've missed, I, there's a very, very good chance that I will be rewarded anything. I'll be happy to be in heaven. But I won't get a reward because of the opportunities that I missed. 
yet we don't prepare for that the way we prepare for Ida, the way we prepare for COVID. I heard a man preach it, it was a year and a half ago whenever COVID was really bad. The first COVID, the one that was hurting people the worst. He was preaching and he said, he said, I want to challenge you to do something. Every time you put hand sanitizer in your hands, I want you to stop and pray. Because that hand sanitizer won't do any good if God don't let it. And I thought that was a brilliant thought. I can't see a germ. My mom, my dad, probably my wife, but we don't know, had the flu along with the COVID. I couldn't tell. They, they, they don't come with flu written across your forehead whenever you get the flu. They don't, they don't come with COVID written across your forehead. It, it, it don't happen. I can't see germs. Uh, Emily didn't want to eat out of a tub of ice cream because whenever I was sick, I ate out of the tub of ice cream. I figured that ice you know, killed germs, but I don't know because I can't see it. COVID and, and the flu and, and the cold, and, and that, that is things that we cannot physically fight because we cannot lay eyes on it. Yet we're still terrified of it. The judgment is something that we physically cannot lay eyes on. And yet it don't bother us at all. Hell is something that is real. And yet people don't prepare for it at all. I'm talking about those that are lost and refusing every single day to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They prepare for Ida. They prepared for hurricanes. They prepare for the tornadoes. But they don't prepare for eternity. They don't prepare for. They don't prepare for the everlasting, for the ever after. There's a term that's, I think Disney coined it, but in all of the books, especially the the Disney princess books, what's the last thing that they say on the last page, the last line of every single book? What does it say? And they all lived. Happily ever after. I believe that heaven will be a supremely happy place. But the judgment will not. Now I'm not talking about the the great white throne judgment where the lost are judged. I'm talking about the judgment where you and I are judged. It won't be a happy place. Because there's going to be times that we will remember that we should have been reading our Bible, but we didn't because we had better things to do. There are times that we should have prayed, that we should have believed in God, that we should have had more faith, that we should have came to church, that we should have participated, that we should have done this, should have done that, but we didn't. Because there's always something better to do. There's always something that that we could be doing instead of. There's always an excuse. Look at what God has done for us. Why can't we do anything for Him? I was talking with a pastor back during the Christmas program at, at the fair. And I asked him if, uh, now he asked me about participation in extracurricular activities in the church. He said they were trying to get a youth group together to go here and go there and do. And, and he said he had a very hard time to, to get people to volunteer to, to head this up. It was for the kids. He said we just can't get anybody to participate. We can't get anybody to volunteer. We can't get anybody to grab this thing and go with it. And he asked me why I thought that. And the first thing popped in my head is I don't have time. 
I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to go there. I don't have time to, to do this, that, and the other. I was installing a generator in Stony Point on Saturday, and I had two of them to put in. And the guy asked me, he said, you're still preaching out there at Harmony? I said, yes, sir. He goes to Stony Point Church. He said, he said you're still teaching? I said, yes, sir. I'm over at Ben's Ford now. He said, uh, and I heard you was building a house. Said, yes, sir. He said, well, you must not have any time left. I said, well, we all get busy. We all get bowed up. We, we all get crunched. But we still owe God time. God is still our refuge. He's still our strength. He is still where we place our faith. He is still where we place our hope. And he should still be deserving of our time. <coughs> Throughout this week, I encourage you and I told you all that, that my New Year's resolution was change. In order to be better used of God, in order to allow God to use my life for His honor and glory, I have to change. I have to get me out of the way and I've got to say, God, do what you want through my life. That's my word for this year. Throughout this week, I encourage us all to focus not on offering excuses of why we can't, but finding the excuse of why we can why I can do this, why I can read my Bible, why I can pray, why I can encourage my family, why I can come to church, why I can help with this, why I can help with that. There's always a reason not to. But God always gives us a reason to work for Him. Well, we have a verse for song. We'll ask for a verse of invitation if someone would have something